This is Sergey Ross Show in episode number 44 I just recently did. You're here because you want to know how the top performers think, how do they achieve success, what, what are their routines, what are their rituals, what makes them really tick, what is their mindset that allows them to do what they do so well. So this time I had an opportunity to sit down with Brennan McEachern, who's the CEO of a startup here in Toronto called Soapbox. Enjoy the episode. My guest today was a Ryerson student who is in his second year, developed an idea, acted on it, and founded a company called Soapbox, which is a tool that helps managers coach, communicate, and collaborate better with their teams. Brennan McEachern. Brennan, great to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me, man. Really excited to be here. This is awesome to have you here. You didn't just study entrepreneurship, you dove into it, you practiced it, and then you applied all you learned building a company. You had something, you said something really interesting in one of your posts. You said, what actually matters is doing something. It's not about reading the post about the top 10 things best managers do. It's really about applying and doing what you already know. Talk to me about this mindset of taking action. Did you have it straight from college or from university or you developed it somehow after? Yeah, we have this thing we say internally, action over analysis, which um, maybe is like a little bit the opposite of how people initially interpret it. Um, so, you know, we're very data driven. We're very analytical. I'm pretty numbers driven. But at the end of the day, right, like it's pretty easy to, um, you know, say why the Maple Leafs uh, should win the, the, you know, the Stanley Cup. It's pretty hard to, to be a better um, NHL player uh, than Austin Matthews, right? Um, and it's almost like, you know, we other thing we say is like, talk is cheap, show me the code, right? Um, but yeah. action over analysis and, and uh, you know, really comes down to this bias towards action. And um, it's easy to talk about starting. It's really hard to start. It's hard to continue. And the best way to learn, I think, um, is by doing um, I think it's really helpful in the startup environment where um, I think uh, small companies, there's so much that can happen. It's really easy to be the CEO of someone else's company. It's really hard to actually, uh, you know, do the, do the little things that add up and, and take time. So, yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to management, when it comes to building a company, when it comes to shipping code, when it comes to writing marketing messaging, um, it's easy to talk about frameworks and theories, um, but there's nothing that, you know, beats writing, you know, the hero copy and testing it and seeing if it works and learning and iterating. Um, and that at least gives you a start. And once you start, uh, it's a little bit easier to, to continue. But um, uh, up until the starting point, there's there's a kind of an endless list of excuses. So um, if, if we're going to do it, let's do it. Uh, if we're not going to do it, Let's not waste the time talking about it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and uh, and otherwise, let's just stay focused on things that we think are worth doing. So that's kind of, I think, where it kind of comes down to for me. What about people who are thinking about building a company? I believe you you were saying something reflecting back on the experience. You said, I thought that it's if, you, if you're thinking about it, if you have this idea, you want to do it, just go for it. But then you yeah. had some other thoughts after you were a couple of years in. Yeah, I think um, it's very it's common. It's very common for basically everyone you talk to to say, do it, right? Start a company. There's a lot of people out there in the startup world who are saying, um, you know, like like encourage, being encouraging for the young entrepreneurs out there. And I think that's great. I actually, 
I actually don't want to discourage it, but I, I think in the constant encouragement, um, often by people who've never started companies, but in the constant encouragement from groups of people, we tend to forget about the other side of starting a company, right? And, and the odds of you being successful and the odds of you making it through and the odds of you being the next Jeff Bezos or the next Larry Page or the next whoever. And the truth of it is, right, it's a massive amount of sacrifice. Um, and I know personally, uh, I had to prioritize my business over friendships, right, um, in a very overt way, right? I would get invited out and I would say I can't. Um, until, and I kept saying I can't and can't and can't until you, you stop getting invites from your friends. And when you stop getting invites from your friends, like you kind of don't have friends, right? And it's not because uh, of any other reason. It's not because they don't like you. In fact, they like you a lot. It's because you have chosen to not be their friend, right? And that's a hard, I mean, that's kind of a rude thing, um, but you have to make that to where you don't have to, but most people make that choice um, and that sucks. You build up, and I call that debt, right? Friendship debt. Yeah. Um, you build up relationship debt with um, your girlfriend or your parents or your friends or your dad or your grandparents or whoever it is. You build up this debt. Um, so at the expense of your time with them, you get to grow your business, your children, whatever it is. At some point, you either have to pay that debt off or you lose that relationship. You get divorced from your wife, your kid hates you, right? Your parents <laughs> don't even know who you are, what you do or anything like that. And I think, you know, especially for young people out there, uh, you know, if you're really focused on like you want to put 12, 14, 15 hours of raw energy into your business, um, you know, that's going to come at the expense of hanging out with friends and meeting friends of friends and maybe meeting a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Right. And, you know, that's hard. Um, that's a hard prioritization decision to make. Um, and you don't want to get into a situation 10 years later where you go like, oh, crap, man, like I wish I enjoyed my 20s. Um, I think you want to spend more time. Uh, uh, most people want to spend more time enjoying those parts of life. So uh, I just try to spell that out. And if you still want to do it, do it. Brian, and if you don't want to oh, do it, yeah. then I'm here on the other end uh, uh, to say, hey, it's okay. But um, but if you're in, you're all in, you want to kind of spend all that time, then great. Uh, I'm here to support you because I don't think there's enough support out there for people who are in the trenches. So um, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Maybe it's a little bit different, but that, that, that's kind of how I think about it. How do you pay the relationship that uh, friendship that while you're in it? Do you because I think something that you said that really resonated with me is that it doesn't really get easier. Like you're kind of thinking, mm -hmm. oh, it's going to get easier. I'm going to have a little bit more time once I hire this number of people. But it never does. Do you draw a line and say, look, this is how much time I'm going to spend on meeting somebody and I'll just not going to respond to the email or I won't be available or you do something else. Yeah. I think there's like different phases of it. You're right. Like there, there is this hope there's what well, I think of it as like blissful ignorance. Um, and, and part, part of that helps you as a founder, like it's going to get better when, um, it's the only thing that'll kind of keep you going. But the, the truth of it is it just gets different. It doesn't necessarily get easier. And, you go from, you know, it'll be easier once I have a team of 10 people to, 
well, shit, now you got to, you know, learn how to be a great manager and that's not easy and people quit on you and you know what I mean? That's hard. And yeah. now you're spending time early and late because you decided to be remote and different times, uh, all these mm. problems like pop up. Um, I don't know how you pay it off, um, to be honest. And, and, and I think uh, there are, um, you know, different theories out there. I'll tell you from experience, um, the best way to pay it off is to find a way of, of not going too far into it. Um, and, and I think if you're too far in, I don't know if there's a way out and, and it's not that deep relationship that, uh, you don't have to go too deep into relationship depth for the, for, for people to feel really burned. I have a few friends that have, you know, spent their, their decade in startup founder, CEO land and exited mm -hmm. the company. Uh, of the three of them, I know very, very closely who have done that. Uh, they exited that same era of, you know, exit post exit. Um, uh, they all got divorced. Uh, it's kind of nuts to think about that, you know, during the whole journey of building the company, they were able to kind of make it, you know, work. And once the company was over, uh, it didn't. And I think there was maybe there was just too much debt to pay off. Um, I think maybe there was different expectations of even who the person was, um, you know, during the company versus after the company, where they the same person, are they not the same person? I think sometimes it's hard um, for sure to get over that. You know, the way I do it um, to give maybe tangible stuff yeah. is I have a group of, of founders and CEOs who I meet with once a month. Um, and we, I joke and I kind of say it's alcoholics and I'm not for startup founders. <laughs> um, it's not, we're not alcoholics, but we do get together uh, once a month and we, we talk about, um, you know, the ups and downs of, of being a tech CEO founder and, and only a way that I think other tech CEO founders can truly understand. But we talk about personal issues first. We talk about family second and we talk about work last. Um, and we do that very intentionally to make sure, you know, we as humans are OK first. And it's kind of sometimes like hard to think about, you know, the fact that, you know, Larry Page is a real life human. He's not just this machine of value creation um but then family and and intentionally we make commitments um and talk about the ups and downs of of being a member of a family and make commitments to each other and we hold each other accountable for family and i think that's you know the only thing i've found that works um is uh is just having a, a group of peers who they know all of the excuses that you can come up with and, you know, as a group, we've committed to, um, you know, at least holding each other accountable to to, mm -hmm. to making it, you know, paying off some of that debt, right? Yeah. Personal debt and, and family debt um, and obviously helping each other on the business at the same time. No, it's a good way to at least find some sort of a workaround. At least try. At least yeah, we exactly. try. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah. totally. <laughs> so you are doing pretty amazing job on the marketing side. You've got some really good articles that you personally write, very personal, really, really great marketing. Have you done, have you studied copywriting before because they're so well written or this is just more fun project? Dude, I man, I'm so flattered that you feel that way. No, I haven't studied copywriting. I think it's something everyone should study. Um, so I guess I've, I've read um, things about it. I mean, obviously, you read, I read a lot, um, and so maybe some of that rubs off. But um, no, I think uh, the, the big thing comes down to there's just a process for it. And at the end of the process, if you know, I'm not, I, I, 
there have been phases in my career where I've published things just for the keywords, right? And just for the rankings and just for the whatever. And now if it's going to go out under my name, I'm going to publish it because I'm proud of it or I'm going to publish it because I think there's value in it or it's an article I would like to read or I wish someone wrote. Um, and that's the bar. And I don't know that's going to be different for everybody, but that's the bar. And there's definitely a process or a factory or a way to make it a little bit more efficient on yourself. Um, that I've, you know, kind of tested and iterated and found something that works for me. And um, uh, I definitely write them myself, um, but there's a lot of help. There's more help yeah. than you would probably expect in the writing side of things. Um, but, yeah, the final publish is always my finger for sure. Um, and uh, and I think that's how you end up getting into this person. Mm -hmm. In fact, like the crazy thing is you won't believe it, but like the yeah. images on there like a lot of times I draw the images myself <laughs> oh, um, really? or like, or like I make the images myself. And that's just part of like me kind of getting comfortable with, you know, would I say things this way or would I write it this way? Or would I like to rearrange it? And that's like yeah. the kind of the final finishing touches I like to do just to, to feel good about it. Um, but dude, I'm, I, I really appreciate you saying that we're, we're doing good at it. It's something that I think, um, you know, I'll say I'm, I'm insecure of. I don't think of myself as a marketer or a good marketer. So, uh, something I, I think about and we're kind of intentional about. So I'm I glad mean, you like it. I mean, this is really good, good. And I mean, I find not a lot of CEOs spend time. They dedicate time on this. And even your LinkedIn posts, obviously mm. not company related, but super personal, very direct here and very engaging. Like you, you posted something on a Saturday and that was awesome because I'm reading it like, hey, if you're reading this on a Saturday, comment below. I'm like, I love that. Now, if you can just add add a comment saying people, hey, can you leave your email and then get get somebody on your team to collect that? <laughs> that yeah, you know, I don't know. I don't know, but the, the, so it's funny that you brought that up. Social media is something um, uh, that, uh, I've, I've, I'm learning, I'm learning. And the way I, I learn is kind of comes down to, you know, action over analysis is you, you just do, oh man, there's so many blog posts you can read. You go to post four times a day. You've got to post at 1 PM. You got to post at 2:41 PM. You got to, <laughs> you got to say this, it's got to be two lines, one emoji, every 100 words, like whatever a gif, you got to use like all these things, images, increase engagement and subtitles do this, the so much talk out there about it. Um, and a flip kind of switched for me about a year ago with marketing, which is, you know, just the, if you can learn firsthand, then you learn. Right. And so, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I haven't really been that active on, on LinkedIn ever. Um, and I had a, a bunch of friends just kind of tell me, Hey, LinkedIn is the, you know, it's a, I go there during work. And I was like, man, if this person who's one of the smartest people I know is just, cruising LinkedIn at work. Well, shoot, I want to market to that guy somehow. And um, let me just try to figure that out. And it's much easier for me to experiment. I treat it like experiment. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm every, every post is an experiment. I'm trying to learn something from it. I'm super curious. And it's easier for me to experiment on my mobile phone with my personal account than it is for me to ask my team to experiment yeah. with the corporate brand account because they have they can get in more trouble, right? Um, yeah. And not that I'm going to get them in trouble, but they're going to get themselves. And if they say something that's embarrassing or whatever, they're going to you know, feel bad. Whereas if I say something embarrassing, then it's like, listen, I learned. Like, at least I learned, right? If I say right. something and someone's like, dude, you're so stupid. I'll be like, why am I stupid? 
like teach me right um and then i know that and and i think part of that is being comfortable in your skin and part of that is putting yourself out there yeah. dude 90 percent of people on linkedin don't post right exactly, um, exactly. so you got to start if you want it to work you just got to start posting um, and that was the big barrier for me is i just had to get comfortable with if i have a thought in my head um, i have to get comfortable with the fact that uh it's worth sharing because I think yeah. for a long time, for years, I thought, well, I'm having this thought. That means everyone must have that thought. And then if I put it out there, I'm stupid. And everyone's going to realize how stupid I am. Um, and you'd be surprised. Like, you're right. I posted a thing on, the, on a Saturday. <laughs> I was like, do people use LinkedIn on week, on weekends? And it was like, I don't know. I think it's like 150,000 views now. Yeah. Um, because guess what? It turns out people use LinkedIn on the weekends. I didn't know. So. It's so true. And it's it's what I found myself posting on LinkedIn is that like when you have a certain thought and it seems to be very, you know, like very basic, you feel like people will have the same thoughts, but nobody posts, nobody posts yeah. it. And you find so many people that can relate to it. And it, it just like really surprises you. So the big thing about social media, this is my big tip. This is my big learning. I did a, a couple months of experimentation on Twitter. Uh, I'm like two, three weeks experimentation on LinkedIn. I think LinkedIn's going a little better because of my learnings from Twitter. Um, but LinkedIn's a different beast. It's a, it's a, it's a very interesting beast. Um, but what I've learned about social media, social media marketing, is that it's not marketing. I think that's like the big unlock. Everyone is like, how do I market to these following of people who are engaged on this platform? It's not any of that. I think in order for you to do well on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on whatever social platform, how do you hack that? People talk about the algorithm. How do you hack these algorithms to go viral? It's like, basically it boils down to two, two rules. One, no one wants to be marketed to, so don't market to them, yep. right? Instead, treat it as a community. How do you engage your community, right? Talk to your community. Um, talk to your community about things that you care about, things that they care about. Be curious. Ask them questions. Treat it like a big Slack group with all of your customers in it. Right. You're not just going to sit there and pummel blog posts after blog posts after them and never talk to them. That's stupid. So if you have a big Slack group where every single one of your customers on it, um, what do you do in that Slack group? Um, you go in, you talk to them, you engage them, you're curious about them, learn things about them. Right. What do they care about? Um, and then I think then you build a community and guess what's more powerful than like a marketing campaign, a community who is your marketing campaign. So that's step one is like, Social media marketing isn't a real thing. It's just community management. Um, if you start treating it like community management, it's fun. All of a sudden, yeah. it's fun, right? So have fun with it. And the second thing is the algorithms serve a purpose always. And the purpose for all of these tools um, is uh, they make money with ads. So the purpose of the algorithm is to maximize time spent in Twitter, on Facebook, whatever, so that you can see ads. So the goal of your engagement on that community is not how do you hack this tool, it's how do you create content on that tool that people want to see, want to engage in, and don't have to leave, right? Absolutely. We just constantly post blog posts after blog posts after blog posts after blog posts. People click those, they leave LinkedIn. Well, guess what? LinkedIn doesn't want you to leave LinkedIn. Exactly. It's called social media because you, your, your point there is to not advertise, it's to be social. So be social, treat it like a community, keep them on LinkedIn, keep them on Twitter, engage with them, have fun with it. And all of a sudden, right, 
your followers just start growing wildly. Yeah. Um, and then you can every once in a while, you say, hey, do me a favor. Like we're launching this thing. Give it a share. And OK, that works. Right. So true. And not having any crazy expectations. Oh, I'm going to hit this number of likes because sometimes you won't. But sometimes the post that like is really looks like an underdog, it's going to blow up. Uh, absolutely. Right. Like I, I had two people like my LinkedIn post about uh, do people use this on, on the weekends? And I was like, wow, that's more that's more likes than I thought. And then it's like 2000 likes now. And I'm like, OK, all right. People are liking this on the weekday, but still, whatever. Um, so now like I, I went into work then, you know, the next day and someone was like, well, how are you going to top that one? And I was like, I don't care. Like, it's not about being popular to me right it's about conversations like this like we yeah. wouldn't have, be having this conversation right exactly and, and some of the other ones that spur out of it to me if it's if it's you know if it goes out there and it you know one person sees it sure right and sometimes if i think it's good i don't think just harm in like posting it again right absolutely, um, absolutely. And, and then you can learn like maybe timing does matter yeah right um Try it, copy and paste it a couple times, different times of day, different days of the week. On weekends, apparently, you should do that, um, right. and uh, and then see, right? And if it you've tried it a couple times, it doesn't work. Then guess what? Like maybe your community doesn't care about it, and if your community doesn't care about it and it's directly related to your business, like that might be really good feedback um, to change some of the wording in your on your marketing page or or whatever, right? So true. You have <clears throat> this great thought that I'd like you to comment on. And I think it applies not only in a business life, but also personal. You said your gut contains thousands of thousands of little data points that you might yeah. not always be great at vocalizing, but they're there. Yeah. And if you listen yeah. to your gut and trust it and use yeah. it to lead your team, you'll be much better off in the long run. And I thought it's so cool because we often ignore the gut feeling. And um, I think you, ha you yeah. really kind of went into this inside. Yeah. So the caution there is that doesn't mean ignore reality, right? Um, the caution there doesn't mean ignore your customers. It doesn't mean ignore data. It doesn't mean ignore the market trends. It doesn't mean ignore any of that. It's kind of the point of it is the opposite of it. It's study your customers, study the data, study the market, be the expert, own your community, be involved, be super curious, write all these things down, track every metric, right? Be obsessed. But when it comes down to making a decision, you have to trust that that if you are obsessed, that your gut knows the right direction. If you're obsessed with it, if you've if you've studied the metrics, then you have to go with the answer that's in your gut. Um, and the truth is, I think you probably end up with a better decision that way than um, if you then jump only to the numbers and do some math formula. You jump only to a particular customer and do what that customer wants. I think you have to kind of go like, what's in the gut? What's in the heart? What do I believe to be true? Knowing everything I know, what do I believe to be true? And let's make the, the decision of what I believe is true and right. Um, I think everyone should be doing things like that. I think it's a, a cowardly way of um, you know, running a life if you don't. But um, what I'll say is uh, I, I borderline stole that concept out of um, uh, Crossing the Chasm, the book Crossing the Chasm. Mm -hmm. It kind of shook me a little bit um, when in the, in the book, they're like, you know, you got to do all this research and then ignore it. Um, and I was like, well, why am I doing all this research if I'm just going to ignore it? And, and I think the point is do the research uh, because it's important to do the research, but don't do what other people tell you you should do. Um, 
and and then you know there's obvious things that you have to check and you should study and you should know right like read go on wikipedia and read the list of all the different biases um that humans can succumb to and That's if so not, important. Be a, yeah be aware that be aware that we are flawed decision makers um and so you can check that right you're making a decision you can check am i doing this because of one of the flawed reasons you know i exist and um, um, call up some friends and get a little extra data points um, to then, you know, affect your gut. But ultimately, I think, you know, if you're going to make a decision, you want to stand with it. Um, I, the, the one thing I always say, this is funny. This is like a funny little mm -hmm. Toronto Canadian thing. I always say my rule of thumb is like, if this goes out on beta kit, right? Like if beta kit <laughs> yeah. writes about this, I want to be first in the comments um, to be like, yeah, I stand by that decision. Um, uh, I don't think you want to go out and, and say like, you're right, you know, I wasn't thinking, um, or I didn't believe in it, but the Gartner report said I should do it. I think, yeah. I don't think, you know, today, I think you just get a bunch of me too products, me too companies. I think, I think if you're going to do something like do the stuff that, um, matters and, um, uh, you'll find people whose guts are saying the exact same thing and they'll, you know, be right with you along the journey. Let me ask you this. You mentioned you want to be obsessed, and I completely agree with that. I think it's such a big part because it's always achieving something that is worthwhile. It's always yep. going to be extremely hard. And most people, they probably have some area of interest. I mean, they don't probably have a strong interest, um, but they they might not have a passion, which will be probably the next step. But they obviously probably are not yet obsessed with this one thing. How do you develop that? Or what have you found that works for you, that you go from being interested all the way to being really, really obsessed with it? I think part of, I mean, for me, part of it is a little bit my personality towards certain topics. Mm -hmm. I am, I like to go deep on things. I like to understand things. Um, I don't know if that's always necessarily a good thing, but that's uh, a part of maybe who I am for it. Um, but uh, there are definite ways of becoming uh, uncomfortably, uh, devoted to certain things. Um, and for all the negative parts of being a startup founder or entrepreneur, one of the positives is that your personal identity becomes attached with the problem that you're currently solving as in your company. Right. Um, and your personal identity becomes attached to that product and company and problem. Um, I don't think it matters. It actually doesn't really matter for anyone outside of you, but for you, it matters a lot, mm. right? Like you're betting on yourself and everyone is watching you bet on yourself. And if you're wrong, um, it's kind of soul crushing and ego crushing. And I think your ego plays into it, right? Like I don't want to mm. be wrong. Uh, I don't yeah. want people to see me fail. So therefore I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure I'm right. And then when you're doing that, that part of that is like, well, I'm just going to stay up and read. Right. Or I'm going to do this. or I'm going to ask questions. Or I'm going to call people. Um, I think that's part of it. I think as you add family debt, as you add relationship mm. debt, as you add friend debt, um, that debt is in exchange for you to be successful. Right. I, or the way I see it is like, you know, my wife gives me a little bit of extra leeway um, because she believes, you know, when she's at home, uh, you know, by herself or with a kid or whatever. Um, she is doing that. That's her paying, you know, investing in me, investing in this business. And so, you know, for her and for my dad and for my mom, my grandparent, you know, like I want to be right. I want to do them solid and I want to get to the point in my life where I can pay that back. 
um, and I can pay that back in time and, and all of those things. So I think for that, you kind of owe the way I think about it is, is like I owe them um, uh, or be doing them a disservice if I wasn't diligent, if I wasn't obsessed. Um, I think that there are a variety of ways of doing it. Certainly like if a customer is like, Hey, we're going to give you a lot of money. That also, <laughs> that also like gives you a little bit of added pressure. Like what happens if, you know, our app breaks and you got to learn to program to, uh, make sure that it doesn't break. You know what I mean? Like all yeah. those things kind of factor in. Let me ask you this. So imagine you were, you were five years, five years ago, you, before you started the company or six yeah. years ago, then yeah. you were just before going to university, what would be the one piece of advice that you'd give yourself knowing what you know now with building the company, with personal relationship depth and all those things that would help you do better? Oof. Uh, the one thing I think about a lot is, um, you know, I've never had a boss um, and therefore I've never seen a good boss or a bad boss, right? Uh, above me. Um, I've, I've, I've seen good and bad bosses that I've hired and learned from um, greatly. Um, I've had great board members um, uh, and great employees. I've learned a lot. Um, uh, but this is my only company. This is my only journey so far. Uh, one of the things I think about a lot is, man, I would kill to just watch you know, uh, and learn from another CEO, right? Like I would kill to spend six months at a, uh, you know, uh, company that just raised a series A and I would kill, right. And I'd learn how to build a, probably learn how to build a really good seed stage company by being at a series A company. I mean, I'd love to spend six months at a series B company and learn how to build a good, because obviously if you're a series B, you know how to do a series A. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make it to series C. So, um, you know, I think that that from a pattern recognition is like if you're hanging out at a Series B company, you kind of know uh, uh, what's in place. Uh, you know the tools that are available to you as a as a founder and as a CEO. You start building a network of people to hire, right? And that's a one of the issues for me is um, you know my network uh, is from scratch, right? So um, there's I'm I'm not paired up with uh, other people. Um, from past companies that I can just call on. Um, and, uh, and I don't know, like, I don't know, uh, you know, should I be doing an all hands right now? Should I not be doing an all hands? How do I run my leadership meeting? Um, are there good practices or bad practices? Yeah. All of it is like from first principles. All of it is from books. All of it's from reading. All of it's from calling friends, asking them how they do it. I've, I've never had the first hand other side, um, reporting to a CEO problems. Um, so I think, you know, here, here I would hesitate to give this advice to me back in time um, because uh, I'd fear my fear is if I if I did go back in time and give this advice, I would never do what I'm doing now. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, I would like to I, I, I would like to just see um, what it's like uh, at different stages at different companies in a faster time. Like I just like to learn faster. Yeah. Um, and take the best ideas from the best people at the best time and have that in my chest of tactics. Um, whereas right now, I feel like sometimes and it, there's benefit of, of doing everything from first principles. In fact, like there's probably more benefit that way. But um, but sometimes you're like, all right, like 
do am I even doing anything sane, right? Or is it all just craziness? Yeah. I don't know. But uh, so far, it's working. So we're 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 keeping at it. Well, one of the fastest ways to learn, as I'm sure you know, is by modeling. You model yeah. what works. The guy who's already done it 20 times, and like Tony Robbins says, it's like a recipe. You look at the yeah. what's the recipe, you know, like the step by step, and boom, it works. Yeah, just do just do the recipe, right? Um, so in exchange for that, you know, do the research, read the books, um, uh, talk to other founders who are doing it, who are ahead of you, who are behind you, um, understand their patterns, their recipes, and um, and implement that. But uh, it's fun. I mean, you know, it's it's always like kind of crazy to think that like, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do when Soapbox is over. I don't know. I have to do something. I'm going to have to start a new company because I don't think I can do anything else. It's the only thing I've learned how to do. You, you is get this used job. to it. <laughs> yeah, get used to it. What are some of the books that greatly influenced what you're doing, and some 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 books that maybe you gifted before? You mentioned Crossing the Chasm. Are there any Oof. ones that really caught your attention? Oof, there's so many. Um, okay, uh, yeah, I think um, High Output Management is a good one um, for like a a post. 10 person company, I think high output management is helpful um, when you really get into kind of a people leadership role. Mm -hmm. um, I think books like, um, you know, Rockefeller Habits is the same thing. Traction is a really good book. Not the mark, mm -hmm. both Traction's actually, there's a Traction book um, by, uh, that talks about like EOS systems, entrepreneurial operating systems, and how to track metrics and come up with rocks and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And rocks are basically just OKRs. Um, I think OKRs are better than rocks, but uh, Measure What Matters talks about OKRs. I think that's a really good book. Yeah. Um, the other traction is about marketing. I think that's uh, a really interesting book about how an engineer kind of views marketing through the lens of experiments and learning, like first principles uh, towards marketing and building a marketing engine from scratch. That was really helpful. Um, I think there's a lot of books about psychology that have been helpful. Um, Persuasion by Caldini is a really good one if oh, you want to just understand. Yeah, it's kind of a classic. Um, I think you can go into uh, books about raising financing if you want to, although they're boring. Um, you can go into books about managing your board, although they're boring, but you should learn how to do that, right? Um, there's books about managing your team. I think Radical Candor does a decent job of, um, mm. it probably could be a blog post, but I think it does a decent job of like, you know, understanding why feedback matters at certain stages. I think there's, you know, books like uh, Culture Code. Yeah. Um, it's a really good book um, on how the dynamics between teams matter. I think there's classics like the Druckers. There's so many good books. Um, in fact, like if you find yourself on LinkedIn or Twitter or a blog post, like just stop and get off it because most books take way more time to write and way more thought to write than a blog post. Um, so spend the time, you know, in audible, spend the time reading the book. Um, even if you, you know, chapter two, you close it and, and you never go back to it. I think it's that thought. Um, there's a lot more energy behind that thought that the author had to put out. Um, and so it's probably more worth your time, um, than, you know, uh, scrolling through Twitter or reading some person's blog post who, you know, um, uh, maybe has never even done what they're talking about. Um, I think the books, books are definitely helpful, but they're, they're a data point, right? And, um, nothing's going to help you get through this, um, faster than doing it. I don't even know if there's a book on firing people. 
Um, but there is no way to get good at firing people. Yeah. Um, you just, you just kind of have to beat, you know, you just have to sit in a room and fire someone and it sucks. It's never going to get better. It doesn't matter how many re books you read about it. Um, but when you're in the room firing someone, it ends over and you go to bed that night. Uh, I guarantee you the next day you wake up a better manager because you never want to get in that room again. So you start giving feedback more directly, mm. right? Like there are little things like that, that experience teaches you. Um, and you know, then you reread high output management, you reread, right. uh, you know, radical candor, you reread some of these books and you're like, I get it now that hit me in a different way. Um, so there's, I mean, man, there's countless, uh, books, what's the saying, right? Like if you don't learn from history, you're, you're destined to repeat it. Books are the, the only way we've found, um, I think to like pass knowledge, uh, directly generation after generation, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice if you don't read it. Um, doesn't mean it has to be, uh, fun. Doesn't mean you have to do it 24 hours a day. Um, but, uh, if, you know, if you're not commuting right now, I would recommend, uh, moving 20 minutes away from your office and, and, and listening to an audiobook, You probably learn a lot of lessons. And we will link it all in the show notes with this episode. So everybody can grab it on Amazon. Cause I think you mentioned Crazy. a ton of titles. They're really yeah, good. Sorry. There's so many, dude. I can keep going. There's so many. There's anyways, you should read a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know it's true. And you're, you're a big reader, which is, which is important. Yeah. You pick yeah. up a lot. I'm an what audio. Is, here's here's my here's my tip for those out there who just read or heard all of that and they're like, "There's no way I'm going to read all those books." So step one, I would say, don't read all of them. The way I do it, this took a while to get there, but I listen to audiobooks at like two two and a half x speed, um, which is too fast for you to actually retain it, but lets you get through about a book in under a week of like commuting, right? Like if you're like, if you're like 20 minute walk to work or whatever, you get through a book um, in under a week. So listen to it at like two and a half X. And then if it's good, which most books aren't, but if it's good and you hear some things and you're like, wow, this book could be helpful for me right now, buy it, right? Like the audiobook is gonna be like 10 bucks, whatever, don't go to Starbucks that week, get the audiobook, right? Then it's a good book. If it's a good book, oh my God, that should be worth $1,000. But instead, you're getting this massive Black Friday deal every day, and it's only 20 bucks. Buy it used, it's like four cents on Amazon. Buy it and then read it and make notes and do those things and talk about it and gift it to people and all those things if it's good. Um, and that way, you don't have to waste your time on books that are bad and waste your money on books that are bad. You can kind of just go through and be like, you know what, that could have been a blog post. I'm not going to buy that, right? Um, but if it's good, yeah, buy it. Nobody's gotten broke from buying ten dollars books. Yeah, I don't think so, right? And and uh, I think it's a good use of good use of money compared to most. What I've learned from uh, David Cancel, the CEO of Drift, how he reads books. So he does exactly what you do. He listens on Audible, and, and Audible for him is literally just pre-qualifying the book. If it's good enough, yeah, he qual he qualifies it on Audible. Then if it's good, buys the hard copy and reads the book, uh, highlights it with a marker, and then copy, like takes pictures and then OCRs it and then puts it in his notes so he can come back to it and reread it. I never do the notes part. I've heard that and people are really good at it. And if I do Kindle, I, I do some of that stuff. I never do the notes, but I usually what I do is I buy two copies instead of buying one copy. And one is mine and one is someone else. And I usually give it to someone else. 
And then that gives me this like social pressure. What I'm learning from this interview is social pressure works on me. That gives me the social pressure of now I have to read it because that other person may read it. They might not read it, but they're going to ask me a question about it. I better know the answer. <laughs> right. Like, so yes. then I read it easy. Yes. Um, oh, that's easy. a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. What is the unusual habit or an absurd thing that you love? Unusual habit. Ooh, uh, I don't know if I do. I have unusual. I guess. I guess if it's a habit I have and it's unusual, I wouldn't even know. So, what would my wife say is unusual about me? Oh man, I have a whole bunch of bad habits. <laughs> uh, what's my unusual habit? Um, I don't know. Unusual. You could habit. say you could if, if you could say a bad what? Oh, bad ones. I have a lot of bad habits. Um, I think, uh, um, I'm pretty self-critical. Uh, I, um, uh, spend way too much time at work. I, uh, I don't weirdly, like, I don't, I think like, I don't know if people are insulting me. Um, mm. and I don't think that's from an inflated ego. I think that's just like, I'm just not aware. I just, I don't understand why people would insult people. So I just always assume the best in people uh i mean obviously there's overt ways of like making people aware yep. that you're insulting them so that that's obvious i think uh my unusual my unusual habit um is uh studying probably probably mm -hmm. that's it like i get I, I probably just i like to go deep um my dad uh, uh gave me this uh, thing once or whatever this talk once about reading the source material so i try to do that like if you're if you're reading a book um if you're reading an article if you're reading a blog post if you're reading a research paper and i weirdly find myself in the research papers because of this um i think you want to you want to read you want to read the source material right um so uh if someone's writing a blog post and you think it's good and they reference the book, just like stop with the blog post and read the book. Right. Um, it ends up being more energy, right. It ends up being uh, more work. Um, but you, you build your knowledge graph and those connections matter. <laughs> I remember once I ended up in this like wormhole, um, reading about how Google does facial recognition on Google photos. And I just wanted to know like at what, capability was AI at at the time. And I ended up reading this um, paper on how they were doing the math to decide, you know, how similar faces are. Um, and I'm reading this research paper. It was on Google Scholar or whatever, and reading the math. I don't understand any of the math, but I'm just reading like, okay, the, then some complicated math happens. I read the paragraphs, more complicated math. And then I scroll up and I'm like, these are weird word choices. The author is choosing weird words. Like maybe he's a, not a, a non-native English speaker. And I go up to when was this article published? It was published in 1824 by some mathematician. 1824. Wow. And I realized that the math that Google is using for facial recognition was invented in 1824, served absolutely no purpose for, a, for what, 200 years until Jesus. some Google engineer doing AI found it and said, maybe I could use this for AI, right? And like, I think you just don't know. And, and so that was a surprise, I think. And like, there, there are so many of those that you 
you go deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole that you don't know what connections you're going to find. And, and often, um, you know, and thank God for the internet, often I think a lot of, there are a lot of patterns out there that you can borrow from and steal from, and there's no reason to reinvent. And, um, I think that's a really good example of that. Brennan, quick word on Soapbox. We haven't touched on it. Why people should check it out. What do you do and who benefits? Cool. Soapbox uh, is an app for managers. Um, we take uh, basically uh, all of the, the little micro habits of the world's best managers. We package them into a really simple, easy to use productivity tool. Um, and our goal is to trick your average first time manager into accidentally becoming the world's best boss. Um, we do that through things likely you're already doing, like your one-on-one -on -one meetings, your team meetings, um, things like that, uh, and uh, tools you're already using like Slack, like Google Calendar. Um, and we just kind of connect the dots to the habits um, so that you can be, you know, calm, um, productive, uh, stress-free at work because you're, you're, you know, you're taking the habits the best. Um, it's free to sign up, soapboxhq.com. Uh, specifically, we target, um, obviously, managers, but we target um, mainly tech companies um, mm -hmm. uh, because they're early adopters. But um, so uh, if, you know, you are listening and you'd like to, you know, our customers are like Netflix and Amazon, Intercom, GitLab, um, and hundreds of other, um, you know, scaling tech companies, if that Kind of, you know, you'd like to learn the habits that those guys have and use. Um, I think we're probably the right tool for you, uh, and uh, free to get started, cheap to buy, um, and eventually, hopefully, we get your whole organization on it and we're successful together. So, um, you become a better leader. Become a better leader. Become, you know, a company that has, uh, you know, an army of of great leaders um, is a well managed company, and that's ultimately what we're trying to do. Amazing. Brennan, last question. What impact would you like to have on the world with the work that you're currently doing and what you would be potentially doing in the yeah, future? Yeah, I, I, so um, I, I think there's no reason in today's era that people have to go to work and hate their job. Um, I think for a, a long period of time, uh, we relied on HR maybe to help fix some of these problems. and um, uh, it's worked to varying degrees, right? Um, but I think today there's um, there's a chance, and specifically in software, um, where people are the assets, not not inventory. Um, that you know everyone can go into work and and define the career path they want, and work on the skills they want, and grow in the way they want, and enjoy life. Um, and I think the way to do that. Um, is uh, you know hand-to-hand -hand combat um, by turning every individual manager into great managers. So I would love to see, you know, maybe it's not every company because there's going to be a competitor for us, and that competitor is going to suck. But um, but uh, for at least the companies that are using our tool, I would love to see them, um, uh, you know, just be the best managed companies in the world um, and have the employees realize that hey. Um, you know, it's because of Soapbox. So uh, we're starting to see that kind of trend take off a little bit. Um, but I would love, um, you know, I would love to to kind of raise the masses out of this, um, you know, feeling of entrapment with work 
um, and turn that um, feeling from just a paycheck to, um, you know, a way to, um, you know, grab the reins on their life. And I think that's part of what our app does. But um, obviously, that goes a little bit beyond just the, the buttons and, and the clicks. Um, so I think that's the impact. Um, other than that, I think it's really important. I would love to be a good husband. I think that's almost harder than what I previously described. I would love to be a good father, and that's even harder than everything I previously described. Um, and I'd like to obviously leave the, the earth and the world in a place that's, um, you know, worth living in. So um, I don't know if that's impact or if that's just like being a good steward and everyone should do it. But that's that's kind of the impact I'd like to have. Amazing. No, it's personal for you. And that's the most important. Yeah. What really what meaning it has for you, for the company, for employees and for the clients that you have, for the clients that you have uh, in the future. But uh, it was great, Brandon. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing your wisdom, what you learned, where you're going. Hopefully, uh, our listeners benefited from it a lot. And uh, it was a pleasure. Absolutely. And if you're listening and you want to engage on social, I'm, uh, I am Brennan on Twitter. And I, just my name, Brennan McEachern on uh, LinkedIn. I'll do my best uh, to engage. I'm there. I'm here to help uh, if you need it. And I'll, it will be in show notes, so you can just go check out Brandon's post. He's doing a lot lately on LinkedIn, <laughs> and it's awesome. <laughs> awesome. I'm glad to hear. Okay, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And if you really did, then go on Apple Podcasts or iTunes and leave a quick review. That would be really awesome, and I would really appreciate that to keep the podcast going. If you have any other thoughts, you can email me directly. Both links will be in the show notes. And let me know what can I do better or who I should be interviewing next. We'd love to hear from you guys. Thanks and until the next time.